and welcome to Map Bites, episode 110. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, Elaine's nagging notification nightmare, bulging batteries and the earth moves for Graham. First though, huge thanks for all the feedback we heard from so many of you. Jane was in the midst of some extreme culinary listening, prepping dinner. I have no idea what that means. It involves the kitchen. That explains it. We also heard from Graham. More on that shortly. And then there was a shocking Oz. There was. Ross said, Thank goodness I stayed subscribed. Now I use Notes instead of Evernote. You are my only subscribed podcast out of 28 that stays there out of blind hope. Cheers. Ross on the Gold Coast, Commonwealth Games, Host City 2018. Sixth biggest Aussie city, 600,000 plus year-round tourists. Oh, do you think that's an invitation? Mm, could be. I wonder if it's warm. It probably is. But as um, he, he mentions blind hope. Yes, that's what lots of MacBiters need, isn't it? Blind hope. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. We also heard from Nick, who pointed out what a rare and wonderful thing a new MacBites is. Can't argue with that one. And McJim, also surprised. More from McJim later. But meanwhile, on Facebook, we had Graham Blessington, Mark Reader, who gave us a link to a video about Macism. Did you watch that? Uh, yes. I think the humour of, is it Peter Cook? Com- completely escaped me. Yeah, But I'll put me. a link in the show notes anyway. Uh, Andrew Black, Michael Chadwick. While on Twitter, Carrie and I were cited plotting a MacBytes meetup. No less. Because Carrie generally lives not far away although she's globetrotting at the moment. Uh, and Kevin was listening in the safety of his office, not risking driving during the comeback show, which I thought was incredibly wise. Yeah, me too. And then the lovely Johnny I. No, not that one. Mummy Isaac's little lad, who said, great to have you guys back. I've missed you. Best wishes, Johnny I. It's good to be back, Johnny. Uh, and we're here again. Ooh, so soon. Anyway, we also heard from Evie, and this is a good one. She said she couldn't wait to hear the show after she received the mail and saw the title. Hmm, wonder why. She said she recalled a song that her mum used to sing when she was a kid, and it was called Spotty Muldoon. After the show, she headed off to YouTube in search of the song and found it. Oh boy, all I can say is did we miss an opportunity for some fun with that one? And we can't have you missing out though, so brace yourselves. Spotty Muldoon, Spotty Muldoon, he's got spots all over his face. Spotty Muldoon, Spotty Muldoon, he's got spots all over the place. He's so it's sort of the Peter Cook episode, isn't it? It is, yeah. Now, the postscript to this is that Evie played the video for her mum, Ethel who's been struggling with illness for quite some time. And she said she saw her laugh for the first time in many months, which that's just awesome, isn't it? It is. That's completely awesome. Now, serious question for all you lovely MacBiters out there. Did the Earth move for you when the last MacBites was released? I only ask, as it certainly did for Graham. Graham was on to show 109 ASAP, but not before a rather hair-raising experience. 108A, now that was the Mutiny at MacBytes headquarters episode, was released the day before 109. We figured the shock of a full show without warning might prove to be too much, which it was for Graham's neighbour's wall, 
Only an hour after the mutiny show landed, said garden wall collapsed. Now, we don't know if it was the announcement of the impending arrival of a new show or Graham's reaction to it that proved to be too much for the former wall. But with much accompanying noise and a definite earth-moving rumble, the lot came down. Sorry about that, Graham. He's hoping this episode finds you safe and secure in Russell Towers without further calamity. Now, Graham also mentioned that he too loves Quick Look and, like us, repeatedly tries using it when working on Windows. I feel your pain, Graham. Now, Robert mailed me to inquire how my selective notification system worked in Boxcar. Remember I talked about it last week? I do. So I sat down to outline the process. And I did this initially from memory. From memory, it involved creating a Gmail rule which forwarded only the mails that I want notifying of to my Boxcar address. Then you need to install Boxcar on your iOS device. And on the iOS device, you log into Boxcar using your Boxcar account. And if you want notifications on your Apple Watch, you can install it on there too. Now, what could cause a problem with that? I dread to think... Well, as I do when I'm adding information to the show notes, I headed off to get the URL for the app, did a quick search for Boxcar app and clicked it, which was when I found out it was dead. Thank you. Uh, Apparently, as I discovered, it hasn't been working since iOS 10, according to the site. Really? I can assure you it's been working for me and, in fact, is still working for me to this day with iOS 11. So I have absolutely no idea what's going on there. But looks like I could be in the market for another solution. So come on, MacBiters, what are you using for selective notifications? I'd need to replace um, support notifications for mail, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And I, I don't mind paying, especially if it means they'll be around for a while. That does actually explain why it's not working for me. True. But nothing explains why it's still working for me. Yeah, I was actually going to reinstall Boxcar because since I got the watch, I get a million buzzes a day and it's very annoying. Well, I found one potential replacement so far, but it's the type of app that would take some time testing it because you need to configure so much to make it work. So it's a case of watch this space and I'll report back. But don't forget to send in your suggestions because we need the MacBytes hive mind on this. Now, you were Chrome bothering again this week, weren't you? Uh, Only a bit. In the last show, I talked about losing my Chrome bookmarks and how it affected all my devices. And that was due to syncing being enabled in Chrome. And if you remember from the last episode, we also talked about the 1Password X browser extension. I installed the extension on my work laptop so that I can use 1Password at work without having the 1Password client installed. And then I looked at my Mac. And because Sync was enabled in Chrome, it had installed the extension on my Mac. However, it had automatically disabled the other one password extension, the one I actually use. To get it so that I could use the new extension on my work laptop and the original extension on on my iMac, I had to disable extension syncing on my iMac. To do this on the iMac in the URL bar of Chrome, type chrome colon slash slash settings and that loads in the chrome settings click on sync 
turn off sync everything. But I also need the bookmarks to sync as per last week's debacle. So I did this by re-enabling sync bookmarks. Then to get the original uh, extension to work on the iMac in the URL bar of Chrome, type Chrome colon slash slash extensions, disable the new extension and re-enable the original one. Simples. Hmm. I think I'd like a more granular approach than that, but I'm not likely to get it from Chrome, am I? No, I am actually happy to um, report that that uh, 1PasswordX thing does work. I used it today at work in the browser. Oh, it does work. The thing that annoys me with it is um, there's a setting in it where you can set how long before it times out and you've got to log back in. And my main password is as long as your left leg. And seen as though I'm in, in the safe and warm cocooned bosom of MacBytes headquarters, there's a title for the show, um, I don't need logging out. So once a day would be fine for me. So I think I set it to never log out. Now, obviously, it will log you out if you close the browser down and then go back in. That's just common sense. But I don't log out of the browser. I don't close it down. And every time I come to it, nine times out of ten, honestly, it wants me to log back in again. That's a bit annoying because with the other extension, the one that you want to use everywhere but work, once you're logged in, you're logged in. You know, according to your security settings, but generally speaking, if I'm logged in, I'm logged in. It isn't going to ask me again unless I reboot. So that's that's a bit annoying. My problem is that I, I continually shut the browser down at work. One thing I couldn't find, and I may just have missed it, is if I can edit the passwords from that extension because I had to go in and change this particular password for work and then I wanted to go and edit edit one password but when I went in it just kind of froze on me so I'll have to reinvestigate that but apart from that it's it works fine. I thought it did um, it will certainly prompt you you know when you go into these things and, and you're actually changing your password yeah or you're going into a site that you've um got more than one account for it will prompt you do you want to change the password the saved password so that it will certainly do whether it actually has an, an editable interface thing i'm, I'm not sure yeah well let, let me at that. let me tell you something it wasn't actually a password entry i was using a secure note really you're sending yourself private little messages you mean mm, i am anyway let's oh. move on i think we should shouldn't we well, at least one of you has almost bankrupt yourself with those space grey peripherals we talked about. Jason mailed and said he couldn't resist a new keyboard and trackpad. Said he loves them both, but his favourite bit was something that we weren't expecting. The bill? Oh no, he was definitely expecting the bill. Turns out they ship these new things with black lightning cables. Ooh. Which made me wonder why the black iPhones and iPads don't ship with black lightning cables. Because they must have run out of black paint. Well, never one to give up. I found the obvious alternative. Amazon. They carry a whole range of black lightning cables. Links are in the show notes. Didn't stop there either. No. Oh, no. They had pink too. A whole range of shades of pink. Links in the show notes. No. If you want a pink one, you're on your own. Now, last time I mentioned um, regarding delegates spotting something other than what we were trying to show them when we're doing our training demonstrations. And it happened again this week. I heard this uh, during one of your live sessions, didn't it? It did. I was delivering iPad training at work 
well, it wasn't at work. I was delivering it from home, but it was for work. And I deliver it from home using my iMac because the network ports at work are locked down for security, which means that AirServer can't communicate with my work laptop. And somebody asked me what the icon was that I clicked to fill in my password, which, of course, was the one password browser extension that we've just been talking about. And I know, I know this as well. I witnessed this one. Sometimes it's not even contemporaneous, is it? No. On my work laptop, I use uh, Zoomit, which is a free utility from Microsoft for annotating the screen. Really useful in training delivery. And so many times when I say any questions, expecting a question about Excel or whatever I'm training, I get asked what I'm using to annotate the screen. Yeah, but with that one, I, I heard you. You asked any questions and nobody said a word. And if they did, it was all about Excel. So I completely lost interest very quickly. Um, it was later they sent a mail, didn't they? He did. He sent a mail and he said, thanks for the training. By the way, um, what was that thing you were using to put the red uh, the, you know, the red arrows and circles on the screen? Was it a, an add-in to Skype? You see, as soon as I get an email that says, and by the way, I know it's completely off-piste that they've spotted something. I thought we should create a list of the top 10 things we've noticed delegates focusing on. And then when I made the list, and I don't think this is anywhere near complete, it was well more than 10. Uh, first thing a lot of people ask about is Alfred, but I've noticed they've stopped doing that because if they're familiar with the Mac, and, and to be honest, if they're not familiar with the Mac, they're already hyperventilating anyway. Um, but with Alfred, I used to get a lot of questions, but now you've got that other thing, you know, the spotlight thing that's already built in. Yeah. Because I'm so fast with Alfred, I think they just assume it's that. So some ask and I give them the keyboard shortcut, but it's not there long enough for them to realise it's not the same as theirs. So that one's on the wane. Um, there's one password, like you said, because a lot of the times with my demonstrations, I'm showing them how to log in or how to do something that requires a password. And of course, they see it happening and I'm not typing it in. So, yes, I get asked about that. One that I always try and turn off is PopClip. Now, I know you said you didn't use that anymore, didn't you? No. I, I really like that. PopClip is um, the thing that, as the name implies, pops up um, as you click in certain places. And it, it works in the same way as iOS, where you get your copy and paste popover. So I do try and turn that off because that, that really does freak them out. One is bartender, and they don't particularly say, oh, what's bartender or what's that icon? It's how have you got nothing in your toolbar is what they'll ask, not toolbar, menu bar. And then I'll have to explain about bartender. Uh, another one's dropler. It's fantastical, which gives me a calendar in said menu bar if I choose to leave it on. Um, Screenflow. I get a lot of questions about Screenflow. I've got an app called Cloud Mount. I know we've talked about that before. That has improved greatly in the last couple of months. Um, I use that to access cloud space. So particularly OneDrive, because unlike you, you've got the OneDrive client installed, haven't you? I have, yeah. I don't install anything like that. In fact, I think I have on my MacBook Air, but that's a whole different story this week. So I use Cloud Mount instead, and that way I don't have to have it there all the time. And I also don't have to manage um, selective sync. I don't have to have anything synced to the local drive to access it. So love that one. Um, there was Yoink that I talked about last time. Uh, if I forget to turn that off and then drag something over and it pops up, you can literally, I know this is only virtual because unless I have the webcam turned on, which 
never happens. Um, I can't actually physically see them, but you can hear in their voice when they've spotted something. They they tend to sit up in their seat and you can tell, can't you? Mm, yeah. Have you noted that their voice comes back at you with much more interest than the thing you're trying to teach them about? So Yoink's one of those. Another one's Pinpoint, which highlights the mouse. Uh, there's Dropshare that you and I use quite a lot. Amphetamine. Now, amphetamine replaced caffeine for me. I think you still use caffeine, don't you? I still use caffeine. In Amphetamine, I've got a love-hate relationship with. Uh, it has replaced caffeine. It, it does a lot more potentially. The thing that annoys me is there was a workflow for Alfred and it was fantastic. And then they brought out a new version and the workflow broke. And I've not had a chance to fix it myself. You can't do everything myself. Um, not unless I clone myself. I'm not quite sure you'd cope with that. Um, but I didn't really want to go back to caffeine either. So that could be improved. But people see it. You know, how you're doing that. Default folder. Now, you do use that. Do you turn it off in a demo? No, I'll leave it on. I tend not to turn it off in a demo. But I always wonder when the screen goes dark around your file dialogue. I just find it far too useful, even in my demonstrations, to actually turn it off. But I do get questions about it. And, you know, you have to stop and say, well, this is what it does. You can't just say, oh, it's default folder. Go look it up. You've actually got to say, well, I use it because. Now, you mentioned Air Server. Uh, I tend to use Reflector. Although Air Server had a much better quality of, of image at one point, Reflector then caught up. And I did a lot of testing when we got our new Macs. And I found that Reflector was fractionally better, so I tend to use that. But the main question, is, as soon as I start to demonstrate anything on an iPad, is how are we seeing that iPad? You know, how can I do that at work? How could I share, you know, demonstrate something on my iPad with my colleague in Paris? Like, get on a flight, it'll be quicker. But they do, they love that. Uh, and I've got another one, which I, I, I think I mentioned it to you, and I'm sure you took no notice, called Muzzle. I remember you mentioning it, so I did take notice. You just can't remember what I said it did. No. It's one of those things where I'm not quite sure if it's working or not. But if I turned it off, I'm sure I'd find out. It's a little thing. I'll do a review of it. It's a little thing that you just install, set it and forget it. And what it's supposed to do is, you know, when you're using GoToMeeting or WebEx or Zoomers or any of those. Yeah. It is aware that you have a live session and it shuts up notifications for you. Now, the only thing that makes me think it's working is I haven't seen a notification while I've been using any of those. So I'm pretty confident it's working, but I will do a proper review of that. Those were just some of the things that people have asked me about. And I think they were asking me about that one because the icon that they may or may not see at the top, and they generally ask me when they do see it, is a dog wearing a muzzle. So I think they're just sort of, do you worry when, when you're training and, and they're asking you about stuff that they really shouldn't be looking at? Because it makes me wonder if they're actually listening to a word you're saying either. It's actually worse for me when I use Fusion. Sometimes when I deliver training on Windows-based products like Excel, I use my Mac, but I run it in Fusion. So often I get the question, um, is Excel for Mac? Am I using Excel for Mac? And I think it's because they see the Apple icon because I can't run Fusion full screen as it causes problems with WebEx. That was something we mentioned, and I know we wrote a piece about it, and that must be easy. Four, five years ago? Mm, yeah. And we keep getting comments on this piece. Um, it was a blog post about how we... It was to do with multiple screens in WebEx, wasn't it? Multiple... Was it WebEx or GoToMeeting? It was multiple screens in... Yes, in WebEx. In WebEx. 
and we keep getting comments literally on a weekly basis because this problem on a Mac is still there. And the problem stemmed from, because for years and years it worked, it stemmed from that thing when they changed the monitor. So you've got a menu bar on both screens. And I know you can turn it off, but even you came around to my way of thinking and went with the default way. I did. But if, if you turned it off, you wouldn't have a problem. But then you've got to work out which is your primary screen and it's a complete mess. So uh, we should probably have another look at that and see if there's any other way around it now, because by now there should be. But back to the feedback. Uh, Henry from Hartlepool pinged us. Is it significant Henry from Hartlepool? Well, he said he was, so I thought I'd share. I went there once, you know. Court case at Hartlepool Magistrates Court. As I recall it, it was one of the fish files they gave to the newbies. Fish file? Fish file, because they stank. Not literally, you understand, although on occasions. And figuratively, the stinking cases nobody actually wanted. I recall it vividly. It was the depths of a freezing January. Didn't really get to see much more than the magistrate's court and a shopping centre from memory. But now we have a MacBiter there, who knows? Ready yourself for an invasion, Henry. Are you going to share what Henry actually said? Yes. It was all about your D&D saga from 107, so over to you. Oh, he said he loved it. Uh, he'd had the same problem and had spent ages trying to figure, to figure it out. And he couldn't believe it when he listened and he hoped that it was a solution for what he needed. So he followed the instructions and yes, it was. And now I fully appreciate the value of DND and controlling notifications. Last Tuesday was an exciting day. More on that later. But that was the reason that we had the need to deploy some mobile phone magic. Mike was potentially expecting a call that couldn't be missed. We were expecting visitors at MapBytes headquarters. The type of visitors that couldn't be let escape before they'd completed their mission. We figured they might just call to tell us what time they'd be arriving. And that is a call not to be missed. Usually not a problem. But it was a special day at work, wasn't it? Hairnet Central was calling. Hairnet Central. Well, that's what I call it. I don't know what you call it. Yes, I had to take a trip to our manufacturing plant where I had to dress up in these protective overalls, gloves, cover my hair with a hairnet. All in all in the name of, um, I was going to say security. All, all, <laughs> all in the name of looking complete proud. All in the name of personal hygiene. It's like CSI. Anyway, I had a plan. I had a vague recollection of being able to redirect calls using O2. Not that I use the phone much like, you know, once a year maybe. But I'd even had the foresight to add the details as a contact in my contacts app. Unbelievably. And when I got there, it actually is capable of doing quite a lot. You can set up diverts. Um, you, there's a not reachable divert. Divert calls when busy divert calls when there's no reply or my potential favorite divert all calls so we opted for that one because you i don't know were you even allowed to take the phone in there i had to keep it yes yes i did but i had to keep it in my pocket because somebody took a sly selfie for me in my <laughs> regalia Ooh, there's something for the show notes no <clears throat> so right divert all calls was the one we went for now your mileage will vary depending on who your provider is. But what we did on O2 is star star 21 star and then send. No, uh, no, no, no. Star star 21 star, enter the phone number that you want them diverted to and then hash send. 
So you did that on your phone. Then we did a check. Luckily, we had a third phone to check with and it worked fine. Um, and then when you've finished with it, it's hash hash 21 hash send and that turns it off. So we set all this up the night before and we were good to go. As long as I didn't need to ring you, of course. I wondered if I'd have got the engaged tone or blown the phone sky high. Anyway, the whole thing proved to be a complete revelation to me. I'm not good in the mornings, as we know. I'd received seven calls by 10am. Bearing in mind, I don't usually see 10am. 14 calls by lunchtime. I was seriously doubting my ability to cope. How do you ever get anything done? That's why I'm permanently on D&D. &D. 17 calls the previous day plus 17 missed call alert SMS messages. No doubt all PPI and insurance claims. Well, none of these calls were the one we were potentially waiting for. And let's just say I was very glad when you turned it off once the job was done and you'd arrived back home. Which takes us on to why we were awaiting a potential call with such eager anticipation. Well, there was much excited anticipation at Matt Bites headquarters last week. We were booked in for a broadband upgrade. Now, we're already on a fantastic 220 meg down and 10 meg up. I was up before eight, yes, in the morning. The man trap was deployed and I laid in wait for over six hours. But they finally arrived and we were off. It seemed simple. All that was needed was a new box and activation. I was assured it should take about 10 minutes maximum. However, it stubbornly refused to activate. There was an agonising wait for liftoff and then flashing green lights. I thought that sounded hopeful. Turns out they should have been blue. He rebooted. More green flashing lights. Eventually, I suggested he take our usual approach and sacrifice a chicken to the tech gods. He looked at me in abject horror. How did I know he kept chickens as pets? Seemed he'd got rather attached to them. All got names, apparently. Anyway, luckily at that point, and finally, we had a blue light. But headquarters weren't happy, so tweaks were needed. In the meantime, as we now had a connection, I was trying to sneak on it to check the speed. Now, I was on the ball. I'd already taken a photo of the access details. You know, they put them on the bottom of the box. Yeah. He'd gone to the van. I took a quick photo on my iPhone. And that was the only device with a connection at this point. So I couldn't transfer it from that device to the device I needed it on. And the problem? Well, you can't copy the password for, for the Wi-Fi from a photo. And neither can you see the network settings and the photo at the same time. So plan B was called for. I propped the iPhone replete with photo up against the wall and added it to another device. It was alive. Now, at this stage, I still needed Wi-Fi on the phone and the photo was only on that single device, the phone. There was nothing else for it but to write the password down 80s style. But I'm paperless. So ensued a housewide search for a pen. Now, I found one loitering with intent in the front room. Next, I needed paper. I didn't even have a scrap of paper since they've stopped delivering the local rag a few weeks ago. There was nothing else for it. Tell me you didn't visit the smallest room in the house? No, I MacGyvered a solution and wrote it on a banana. You did what? I wrote it on a banana. <laughs> it was all I could find.
mind. It was either that or the wallpaper. But finally, I was ready to go. So I get to the network settings on the phone. I lined the banana up and typed the first character. At which point, I got a message asking if I wanted to share the password from one device to another. Finally, something Apple did right. Secondary benefit, I could now eat the banana. Hungry work all this, you know. Now, meanwhile, the engineer got the bright idea of rebooting the laptop he was using to configure the connection. Nothing wrong with that. Sage advice in most circumstances to turn it off and on again. Except when doing so means the Windows updater kicks in and there went another hour while it did the Apple Minutes thing, predicting anywhere between five minutes and 60 until it was finished. Eventually, success was declared. They left the building and I was up to the office like a rat up a drainpipe. There's an image. First stop, speed test site. Seconds later, results were in. 385 meg down, 22 meg up. Sorted. And all before you even returned home. Yes, it was all ready and waiting for me. And you didn't even bring the hairnet with you. No. So disappointed. Anyway, let's get on to chat bites. The tech world this week, gone crazy. Yep, it's becoming a legal minefield. Companies seem to think they're above the law, and this week it was the turn of Eventbrite. That's an event ticketing company. Uh, we've actually used them, haven't we? Several we have, times. many times. Yeah, before all this started, I can assure you. Uh, they instigated a unilateral change of terms and conditions to allow them to attend and record your events for, wait for it, advertising purposes. Shark well and truly jumped on that one then. Yeah, for me, because just because Eventbrite provide the platform for selling tickets, it shouldn't give them the right to record the events or take photos you know, for advertising purposes or, or, or anything else. Because if you think about it, what if they're not the sole seller of tickets? Does that mean that every third party agency can send a film crew to cover your event? Because if it does, there'll be more film crews there than attendees. All good points. My initial reaction was, are they kidding? I mean, your event should be none of their concern. You're paying them for a service and certainly not used for advertising purposes. I got to thinking about it, you know, obviously put lawyer head on, had a quick think. If you advertise a flat share at your local news agents, it doesn't give the owner the right to move in with you. You know, take photos and use them for advertising purposes and certainly not video you. Stick it in the shop window. Um, some event organisers, because obviously this kicked it off, they pointed out that the, some of the speakers, particularly these ethical hacking things, spoke on the understanding there would be no publicity and no photos allowed to be taken, even by the, the attendees who'd paid to attend. So I thought that was crazy. But then story came on the news. Facebook were in court. They'd been dragged there by Martin Lewis. This is the um, finance guy. Um, he was complaining about ads that were using his image on Facebook that weren't his. And although they're not identical, I could legally see parallels between the two situations. If you don't want Eventbrite policing events, why do you want Facebook policing placing ads? On thinking about it, though, and I did, I thought I don't want Eventbrite policing events, but I do want Facebook policing the ads. Anyway, in the face of mounting criticism and common sense, Eventbrite changed their minds and backed down. It's just a shame it always seems to take mounting criticism for them to change their minds. And I just thought that one was a no-brainer to begin with. 
Which idiot thought they'd get away with it? I know companies have done it before, maybe not to that degree, but let's be honest, long gone are the days that they can slip something into the TNCs and no one notice. It only takes one person and a Twitter account and your corporate name is dragged through the mud. So don't do it. Simples. I despair of these companies. I really do. Anyway, on to another demise. Dun, 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 dun. Right, right, I'm with you. Yes, Apple announced the demise of the airport range of networking equipment. It was expected, but still very sad. We have an army of airport devices powering the Wi-Fi here at MapBytes headquarters. And on thinking about it, there is huge advantages. There's a nice management app. I think it was more functional before they, I was going to say, tarted it up. I suppose they'd say modernise the interface. You know, took out the advanced features, basically. Um, and it just works. I particularly like it's really simple to share drives. And we have a drive shared on, on ours. Only one. Um, I think it's 128 gig pen drive, isn't it? But we only need the one and it works brilliantly. Um, you can also obviously put a bigger drive on it and use it as time machine if you want. And the thing is, it's independent of your ISP. Now, that matters as far as I'm concerned, because you know if their box falls over, everything falls over. So by separating out as much as possible from your actual connection to the Internet and your internal network, huge benefits. Um, thinking back to that recent Virgin upgrade, it was simplicity itself. All I needed to do when he'd finished fiddling and actually got the box working was plug one Ethernet cable back in. That was it. It was done. Didn't need to do anything else at all. He started rattling away about doing this and doing that and doing the other thing. And I, I just looked at him and said, it's fine. What he was saying was, you'll need to reconfigure the Wi-Fi. And I thought, no, I won't because the Wi-Fi is not coming from there. As ever with Apple, it might not be a hugely profitable part of their business, but I, I thought it was an important one. Because if folk are forced to seriously look at maybe, for example, Google offerings when it's time to upgrade their network stuff, because even I've done that, I thought, well, OK, what's the alternative? And Google sprang up. Then the halo effect might apply in a way that wouldn't benefit Apple, especially so if these people want a one stop solution. They don't care what logos on their kit. I mean, you and I know a lot of people like that. Having said that, I don't suppose you give a stuff, do you? No, it always just works here. That's what I'm for. Just don't ask me what all those white boxes in the kitchen do. Uh, yeah, stay away from them. How was I to know the plates went in the one with the rack and not the round drum thing? For crying out loud. Look, would Mike have a clue which way was up with the copious amounts of network equipment we have? No, I rest my case. Anyway, the airport. Point being, it's a real shame that they didn't have the vision to make a hybrid device. It's probably their best way of selling the home pod right now. I know it's a pretty looking thing if you like that kind of thing. Although, do you remember when they announced that? And without exception, all the MacBiters in the live chat went, fabric? It's white and it's fabric. And that was exactly what I thought. And the latest suggestion to sell the home pod is to reduce the price. Not a sales tactic Apple are aware of, as far as I know. Have they ever reduced the price of anything with the one intent of selling more? Not in my lifetime. No, I can't think of one thing either. But when they took the team away from the airport division and, and then they started sorting out this HomePod thing, it just seemed a logical manoeuvre to me. And they've not gone that route. I mean, obviously, I wasn't interested in the HomePod. Not at all. Not only because it was fabric, just 
Not at all. But if they'd put their network stuff in it, that might have gone that way. So opportunity missed, I think. Definitely. But moving on, there was a discussion at work on our Facebook uh, this week about battery life on some company MacBooks. Somebody said they were getting 10 hours and then suddenly it dropped to four. I suggested checking the energy settings, which he said he had, and he then blamed it on some security software that had been installed by the company. And I think this debate will rumble on and on. Maybe there's more at play here. Apple have just announced a battery replacement program for the 13-inch MacBook Pros. Um, There's a page on the site, you can enter your serial number, and then they will tell you if your toy is one of the ones affected. Now, it's not the first replacement program, Doubtless it won't be the last either. They don't really have a great record on batteries per se and instigating recalls at all. You know how many times it drags on and on and there's 26,000 comments on a thread before Apple do anything about it. But if you've got a 13-inch MacBook Pro, it's certainly worth checking if you can get an exchange, even if you're not having problems yet. Because as we know from things that we've worked with, One day the battery can be absolutely fine and the next day it can be the size of a coconut and pretty much the same shape as a coconut. So don't leave it if you've got one. Just go and check Uh, and you may be entitled to replace them. So uh, what's not to like with that? Now, there were also changes in emoji land incoming too. Two years after Apple changed their gun emoji to a water pistol, Microsoft and Facebook have followed suit. Which wouldn't be strange at all if... Two years ago, Microsoft hadn't actually changed theirs from what looked like a space ray gun to a much more realistic gun. And now they've gone the other way. In the article I was looking at, there's a fascinating table showing how the emojis have changed over the years. And they had the years down the side and then they had companies across the top. And it included sort of obviously Google, Apple, Facebook. I think Samsung were another one. I'm not too sure if there is any link between the actual emojis and shootings. But carrying on the politically correct theme at play here, I'm now expecting a few changes. The cake replacing with a lettuce, the steam engine with an eco-friendly EV, the smiling pile of poo with a bunch of flowers, and the eggplant with... Enough. We get your point. Oh, come on, seriously. They've got all the kudos for changing this single emoji. But as I look through the emojis, what about the bomb icon? There was a lit cigarette, replete with ash, dangling off the end. There was a complete range of knives, swords and pickaxes. And there was a syringe dripping blood. I kid you not. You know what that reminds me of? Those candy cigarettes when I was a kid, where they removed the red end from them so they didn't resemble a cig. What? I had those all the time when I was a kid. And yet, I have never even tried a real cigarette can't abide the smell. I have. I, I, well, you're easily led. <laughs> no, my dad was a smoker. And if you'd heard him coughing his guts up every morning, there's no way you'd go near it. But I love those sweets. I, I really did have no desire to try a cigarette at all. Are people really that easily led? You know, I had that sweet. So now I'm going to buy a pack of Woodbine. Or she'll probably point out there are other cigarette brands available. I'm actually just looking up candy cigarettes on Amazon, and you're right. There's not a glowing red end in sight. There's a title for the show. The thing is, looking at this on Amazon, while they've removed the imagery of the red lit end, they've overlooked something else. In my day, there were about five or six sticks in a packet. Same for you? Yeah. These are sold by the one kilo bag. That's 2.2 pounds of them. 
It is huge. Kids might not be tempted to smoke, but is it a wonder folks are screaming about an obesity crisis? And while I'm at it, next to these on the Amazon page, they do still sell packets of chocolate cigars. Replete with full cigar packaging and gold cigar style seals and stickers on the chocolate cigars themselves. How did they escape the thought police? Actually, they don't look that appetising. How can I describe them? Carefully, very carefully. I'm sensing the need for a warning for those who might be eating right now. Think straight, life-sized versions of the smiling pile of poo emoji. I'll add the link to the show notes for the Terminally Curious. I noticed that they still sell packets of chewing gum. There's an image of a packet of cigarettes and the gum is actually identical to a cigarette, even wrapped in paper. I spotted those and I thought the only thing missing was the explicit health warnings on the box. Remember when you, when you were buying them for Dad? We're talking about real cigarettes now. We are. Yes, he wasn't, he wasn't into... To... <laughs> Gum wrapped in paper. Oh, no, it was a real McCoy with him. When I was about 40 and didn't think I'd get served. (laughs) You see, in your mind, you were still 15, weren't you? Yeah, but I have no problem buying booze. (laughs) Oh, Do you know the only time I bought booze? When you were 16. No, I I don't need to go back into there. No, that that would be admitting something that I I shouldn't admit. No, no, no. The best bit of all this research was, well, I thought anyway, was a review that somebody left for this one kilogram bag of candy sticks. Uh, You weren't in. And I was just looking through them and, and I thought, I wonder if they taste the same as they did. So I thought I'd have a look at the reviews. So it's this one kilogram bag of candy sticks. And there was a, there were mainly five stars, but there was one two star review. And it was from somebody called SM24. And it said, and I quote. <laughs> so I'm laughing already. When I read it for the first time, I couldn't stop laughing. Right. The, the review said the dog ate them. Ripped the parcel open near the gate. Did look all right, though, from a distance. The Amazon driver threw them towards the dog. I, <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up. Oh, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. But my thoughts were, OK, so the Amazon driver threw them to the dog. The dog ripped them open and the dog ate them. How come you're giving it a two star review? Because if he ate the lot, he must have enjoyed them. And I'm assuming if the dog ate them, you didn't. So where did the two stars come from? <laughs> Shouldn't let me loose on Amazon, should you? No. Anyway, more self-righteous indignation this week when Mac started warning users that some of their apps weren't optimised for their Mac. It actually meant they weren't 64-bit. But why let the truth get in the way of a good scary dialogue box? You know, I've not upgraded to 10.13.4 yet, so I've not seen that message. But it does make sense to have 64-bit operating system that can take advantage of the newer and more powerful hardware. But no doubt we'll have the usual debacle of apps not being ready, despite Apple giving developers plenty of warnings. It was interesting for me to see which apps weren't um, ready, in, in Apple's words. And if any of them were critical, then I I was mentally making a note not to move to the new OS. Not that I've done any macOS update for months after the initial release since Snow Leopard, I think. Um I finally did the High Sierra thing in December last year, which was the earliest I'd done it for years. We've kind of got a new Christmas tradition here, haven't we? Of having a serious contemplation of whether we want to install the operating system from four months ago. Um, The thing was here, I was dragged kicking and screaming to it. 
And it was only because Pixelmator Pro won't run on anything bought basically in the last few weeks. Um, my major concern at the moment of these things that are saying not optimised um, is the ITV app. I seriously can't be bothered ever sitting in front of a TV. Can't sit still. So um, I tend to have edited highlights babbling away in the background while I do some work. And I wouldn't really want to have to do without it, um, despite the fact it feels like it's dying by a thousand cuts because there was a recent transmitter update. Our transmitter is Winter Hill, which is um, near Bolton. And there was an update that they did there, which meant I had to retune. I mean, you seem to be having to do that every couple of weeks these days. Anyway, I, re I retuned. Um, all the channels that, that were supposed to be there, like all the news channels, changed their number. And the thing was, I lost BBC4 which is probably the only channel I actually do watch. There's a load of um, Scandi Noir on it and I like it. Another one that's going to be a very sad loss is Fast Icons, which I've used since 2006. It's still working perfectly for me on non-Retina Macs. But there's a reason for that. <clears throat> well, the non-Retina part anyway. It's not been updated since, wait for it, 2007. It's got no future. But it does do a couple of icon related tasks really well. You run the app, it creates a drop zone on your desktop and you can drag and drop images, apps, folders, anything with an icon, really. And then you can save the icon as an image, an image set, a branded folder, that kind of thing. It's so simple to use. So obviously, over the years, with it being that long in the tooth, I've looked at these supposed alternatives, but they're just so bloated with features that what you actually need to do is lost in there in a haze of there's this and there's this and there's this and it can cook your dinner as well. So um, the search for an alternative starts here. All suggestions welcome. I'll report back on my progress in a future show. Now, for some of us, seeing a 32 bit warning would have been a blessing. One of my 10.13.4 updates balked the entire Mac. My venerable 2012 MacBook Air, RIP. I downloaded, installed, rebooted. It reported all was fine. Then it rebooted again and then it was dead. I coaxed it back to life and tried again. But all I got was a message saying it couldn't install the operating system. And the only options from that point were to reboot or shut down. Now, if rebooting gave the same message, so I was foobarred. I did manage to save an error log. So there was an option to save the error log and it gave you one location, which was root. So I saved that. But then, of course, I couldn't get access to it because I couldn't get any further or do anything else, nor could I save to any other location. So um, there was no data I was concerned about on it, which was the good news. But I was concerned about the time it would take to get back to a working state with it. Which was the point I was cursing and muttering about it's getting worse than Windows. So having a think about the fact that I wanted access to this error log in case I needed to get in touch with Apple, I sat and contemplated it. And in a blast from the past, target disk mode was deployed. Now, target disk mode, I thought when we first got a Mac was just amazing. It used to be so easy. Do you remember trying it? No. I can't remember why we tried it, but we did. And you used to do it with a Firewire cable? I would do, yeah, I do. Well, it now requires a Thunderbolt cable, obviously, Firewire long gone. Uh, priced between £40 and 65 from Apple. Nothing else will do. 
Not something I'd suggest everyone has got lying around. Mm, doubtless you did. I did, but that's not the point. I have no idea why I have a spare Thunderbolt cable living happily in a drawer, though. That just takes us down a rabbit hole of discussing the missteps Apple have made over the years with which port's in vogue right now. A Thunderbolt seems so yesterday, darling, unless you're trying to revive a piece of Apple kit that shouldn't be balked in the first place, of course. Anyway, I used target disk mode. It worked brilliantly. Got to the error log. The error was a service not being able to write to a specific folder. So I Googled at that point. Once I had some information that was specific to what I needed, I Googled to find I wasn't alone, which was no comfort, to be honest. My next trick was to try and get rid of the half-installed update. So I booted into recovery mode. Oh, in the meanwhile, in target disk mode, of course, I had access to the entire disk. So I had a quick check through it to make sure that there was no data or configurations or anything else either. Eventually, I sorted all that out and then rebooted into recovery mode. Um, check the disk. Physically, there's nothing wrong with it. At that point, I needed to rerun the installer. And eventually, after an inordinate amount of Apple minutes, it was alive. But overall, between researching, doing, checking, backing up, etc., there's another four days I'll never see again. And as for risking the security update? You must be joking. I took the sage approach of leaving it alone. Might wait for 10.13.5. But if I find myself short on the jeopardy of a potentially rogue update front, I'll jump in and report back. Meanwhile, more kit configuration was called for. Oh, yes. I configured a couple of new Amazon Echo devices back late last summer now. If you're wondering why you're only hearing about this now, I can explain. Some things are a slow burn here at MapBytes headquarters. Like getting a show out, you mean? Oi, let me explain. Originally, Echo devices didn't support iCloud calendars, which would have been nice, but not a huge issue. My calendar's too complicated that I'd even envisage ever managing it via voice. But Amazon announced they'd updated Echo to support iCloud Calendar. This was back in uh, the summer last year. That was when the trouble started. Initially, when I set this up or tried to set it up, it was British summertime. Um, the Google calendars I'd connected it to were fine, but all of the iCloud calendars were one hour out. So all of the appointments were stuck in GMT. So in desperation, having tried everything else, I logged into iCloud to check the settings there, more in hope than expectation, which with two-factor authentication and 10 minutes later, I was actually managed to look at. Now, in the settings, somehow my iCloud, and I don't know if this was just online because I was having no problems with BusyCal, but it had managed to set itself to Cupertino time. So I changed that. I didn't expect a difference with my Echo because it was an hour out, not eight hours out, which is the time difference between here and Cupertino. And I wasn't disappointed. It didn't fix it. Now, by this stage, I'd been at it that long. As luck would have it, our clocks went back an hour, meaning I didn't have to think about it until the following March. Result. Then, of course, March came round and with it, British summertime. Incidentally, nothing has ever been so misnamed as British summertime. It's not stopped raining here since last September, but I digress. Tell me about it. British summertime arrived. Every device in the house automatically updated. 
with the sole exception of your car, which was five minutes out, and now is an hour and five minutes out. It's still an hour and five minutes out. Like the old clock changing gag, your phone just changes, your microwave needs a degree in engineering, your cooker needs a hammer, and your car, well, it's far easier to leave it. Absolutely. So it could take until October to set it, and then you'd only have to change it back anyway. So my task was yet again to start troubleshooting. I asked Alexa what appointments I had, and after thinking about it for a while... She's not as good as I am. Nor me. We know. But when she started rattling them off, wait for it, the times were right. Time for a party to celebrate, and it only took seven months. Yeah, time to crack open the cigars, methinks. Oh, good grief, let's not go there again. (laughs) Anyway, on a roll with my calendar success, I was ready for another challenge. I need some of what you're on. Mm, The cigars. No, honestly, this one looked like it had a genuinely useful potential. What do you think of the iMessage for business idea? I think I missed the significance of it. Well, me too, initially. But then we all know what I'm like with anything comms related. My first job is usually working out how to turn it off. But on getting down with the detail, though, it's actually a great idea. And to use it, businesses need to register with Apple and then deploy it via a supplied code. Needless to say, still in beta. But then it feels like everything's a beta these days. And it allows you to start conversations from Safari, Maps, Search and Siri. And the customers um, connect directly to the customer services contacts at these companies. Now, the best bit is, this is the brilliant bit, despite using your iChat, your contact details are not shared with the business. Now, to try it, you need iOS 11.3 or macOS 10.13.4. And that went so well. But worse still, wait for it. US only. Pet peeve of mine. Life stops on the shores of the US, apparently. You'd think Apple could at least ensure global support for the Apple stores. If it takes off, it would be great to ensure that your contact details remain private during these customer service interactions. But for the US thing, I'm I'm actually liking the sound of that. I think the example, because of course all the um, blogs in the States were able to try it. I think one of the ones they tried was some flower provider and they came back and said it was absolutely fantastic so i think it would be brilliant because as soon as somebody gets your contact details as you well know it's 17 calls a day later which i this is why no one ever rings me if my phone rings and you're not here then i automatically assume it's you if you are i sit and look at my phone as though how have you got the temerity to ring no one's got the number (laughs) so yeah I'm, i'm not good with that so i wouldn't want my contact details passed around so i think that's a great idea but roll it out worldwide. You know, we can check things too, you know. But on with news of yet another demise this week. Go on. Dun, 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 dun. Right, okay. On the face of it, this was nothing of great concern for Mac users. But the mentality behind it drives me mad. OneNote 2016 for Windows is going into maintenance mode. You mean sunsetted? I do. The replacement is called OneNote for Windows 10, or as the rest of the world calls it, OneNote Fisher-Price edition. It's got, massive air quotes, a more modern interface, more in keeping with the style of OneNote on other devices, including the Mac, iOS and Android. And that's where the good news ends, because for that, what shall I say, prettification? You lose local notebooks, the ability to back up, 
tags, the ability to search by tags, the ability to create Outlook tasks in notes, the ability to pin anything to the toolbar, record video and add it to your notes and use third party add-ins. We are, however, promised soon, not yet, but soon, faster and more reliable syncing and live previews of embedded office files. Hmm. There is a seriously long way to go before OneNote for Windows 10 is anywhere near having the level of functionality of OneNote 2016. And I was hoping when OneNote for Mac came out that they would build that up to match 2016, not bring 2016 down to the cutdown version. No, there's a lot missing, isn't there? That was literally just the, the big things, the absolute big things. I don't know if there's anything that you specifically use in 2016 that you were hoping would come to Mac. Probably, but I can't think of anything right now. No, you're too shocked, aren't mm. you? It actually was reminiscent of the debacle with Final Cut Pro 10 to me. You know where they binned the old code base? Yeah. They completely did a new version without half of the functionality. Even if we accept that the latest release of Final Cut 10 today is a worthy replacement for the old version, it's actually seven long years on from its initial release. Seven years. That might be acceptable to some project managers at Apple, but I doubt the users feel that benevolent. And that's what it feels like what Microsoft are doing now with OneNote. I actually have a Windows laptop with OneNote 2016 installed specifically to make backups because it is the only way. Because these notebooks are stored in OneDrive and that's a cloud service, you'd assume you could just back them up from there, but you can't. It will not let you do it. Believe you me, I wouldn't have bought a Windows laptop if I could have done it any other way. The other reason that I have it is to run add-ons that are only supported in OneNote 2016. And that's to fix problems that the Mac version can't handle. Tricky things like, hmm, sarcasm alert, sorting pages alphabetically. Not exactly rocket science. I use an, an app called OneTastic, which is not supported on the Mac. And what it is, is a framework to install macros into. So one example of what I use is sorting a list of names. It's actually a macro that is to sort a list of paragraphs into alphabetical order. But what we do at work is we run a Skype meeting and you can copy the attendees from the Skype meeting straight into a OneNote note. And what I then do is I then use this macro to sort the list into alphabetical order. So I've got a list of attendees in, in alphabetical order. But I also use the sort pages and I use uh, a very useful macro to create a horizontal line, just stick a, a, a full width horizontal line into the note. There are some very sophisticated macros. There's a calendar. My creator. head is in my hands over the, the, the thought it doesn't do a horizontal line. No, it doesn't. But carry on. There's a there's a calendar creator which takes input of year, month, day and format. Um, there's a macro to create custom styles because um, OneNote itself doesn't let you customise the sky styles. styles. <laughs> the teeth! See, I'm ranting now, <laughs> as much as I do rant. Um, you can. There's one that lets you crop and rotate images. There's one that 
lets you create a table of contents from your page names. There's one that lets you toggle the case of text, so uppercase, lowercase, etc. There's all these sorting macros uh, for sorting pages and sections and paragraphs and even putting notebooks into alphabetical order. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of, of very, very useful macros in, in OneTastic, which, as I said, is not supported on the Mac and will, will I guess, be rendered useless once this new version becomes available. That that was my problem. I, I When the Mac version came out, it was very basic. But if you limited yourself to just putting notes in it or reading notes, you were fine. You know, if you weren't trying to organise or do anything clever, it was fine. It was enough. But I felt there was an implicit sort of agreement there that they would be improving it over time. And obviously... The goal, in my mind, was to get it to a level it was comparable with 2016. Obviously, you can all get to the finish line if you move it nearer the start line, which is what I feel they've done. Now, doubtless, we'll still be told we'll still be able to do all that, at least for a while. But it's going to be in the knowledge that there's no future in the workflows that I've put in place. And what I find the most depressing is that this just repeatedly happens. And I can understand the appeal of it from a coding perspective. I've done it myself. Many years ago, it must be, was it 2002, 2003? A long time ago. It was a long time ago. Uh, We took on a huge coding job to build a website. And it was multiple functional units in the back end of a website. That provided the sort of power to it. And then it needed an extensive customer-facing UI to work. And this is back in the day, like I was saying, 2002, 2003, when... There was nothing comparable. It was in the days before WordPress was even thought of. And we had all sorts in there. There was um, ability to make galleries. There was um, a contact thing. Oh, it did all sorts. And it was an achievement. I think it took us 10 weeks, didn't it? Considering how complicated it was and how functional it was, it was amazing it got out the door. But it did. Now, a few years later, it started to look tired. Functionally, it was fine, but, you know, web design had moved on and it looked tired. So we undertook a complete overhaul, 2.0. And we looked at the idea of updating each interface page, but came to the conclusion it was just going to take way too long. So had to look at it from a different perspective and decided that we would just bin the entire front end and we rewrote it. Now, the difference is we didn't lose anything in terms of functionality. In fact, we added some. And we were able to do that because the design of the back end was such that changes in design could be made completely independently without losing functionality. Now, a few more years on, and there were more changes needed. So this was 3.0. But this time, the data in the back end needed transferring to a whole new platform. But again, the entire functionality was transferred into the new system. And again, we added extra features as we went. And I just wish these companies could take the same approach. It wasn't designed right in the first place if you can't do that. And I do appreciate the 80-20 rule. 80% of people only use 20% of the features. Hence, they assume they won't miss what they rip out. The trouble is, I'm always in the 20% of users left high and dry. And I thought through this and, you know, I've mentioned Final Cut Pro. But there was also pages, numbers, keynote. So I'm going to say, let's start a clock today and see how long it is before the Fisher-Price version is ready for prime time. 
Alexa, add a multi-pack of five-year diaries to the next order. But that was the bad news. Fear not. From the depths of despair, new features for OneNote for Mac were announced this week. Be still my beating heart, thumping with anticipation. The feature? Stickers. 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 Completely useless. Unless, of course, you use them to add sarcastic comments to the comic stickers, for which they work amazingly well. But, as one of my stickers said, I'd much rather have reliable sync. In fact, I'd settle for any sync. Very true. It's not the most reliable sync system on the Mac, but, well, I was going to say it seems to to work everywhere else, but having experienced today um, a a number of people telling me that their notebooks on Windows didn't sync, I'm... I'm I'm loath to actually say it seems to work well elsewhere. Anyway, point being, if stickers would complete your note-taking life, they have you covered. That one that you added to our shared notebook freaked me out. I I wonder where it came from. (laughs) It was like a little cartoon head, wasn't it? And there's a, a speech bubble next to it. And instead of it being like a static sticker, you can actually type a comment into the bubble. I mean, what kind of processing power does that take when I just want to back up the notebooks? I'm not interested in stickers. Just just let me back up the notebooks. But anyway, serious question. Got serious head on now. Have you heard of Google Allo? No. Thought not. That probably explains why Google just sunsetted it. It was Google's latest attempt, and I say latest because there's been quite a few, um, their latest attempt at a WhatsApp competitor a smart messaging app. It was introduced 21st of September 2016 and is now in maintenance mode. For which read it's dead. Spot on, 18 months. Actually, it lasted a lot longer than most Google experiments last. Notice the word experiments. I have long since stopped referring to them as products. Dun, 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 dun. Quite, quite. But I thought they'd missed an opportunity. They should just have renamed it Google Goodbye. Actually, you know, there's so many demises today. I'm thinking we need a new section in the show. Obituary Bites. What do you think? Yes, good idea. I could say Sunset Bites, but no, Obituary Bites. Sounds better. Anyway, on to the hardware review, where we share a toy we both love. Heaven help us all. I like to listen to podcasts and music in my car, and the podcasts and music are on my iPhone. Now, the way I used to do it was I would take an audio cable from my iPhone S, uh, from the headphone uh, socket, and I plug the other end into three and a half mil port on my car radio. Simple enough. I then changed my car. And the new radio doesn't have a three and a half mil port. And even if it did, because I've got an iPhone 7, I'd need the headphone converter. So I've tried a number of Bluetooth solutions. I've tried speaker. I've tried earpiece. The current solution, which works really well, is a Bluetooth FM transmitter, which came about after some ingenious MacGyvering from you. Oh, yes. We already had a 3.5 mil to FM dongle off one of the old phones and a Bluetooth receiver. So as I was sitting there, I pondered the logic of wiring the two up to create a single Bluetooth to FM device, and it worked. So then I set about finding one dedicated to the job instead of this Frankenstein version I tested it with and found one. You did. It's a it's a smallish device, probably no more than the size of a cigarette packet. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's not go there. Um, yeah, it takes its power from the car, meaning that no charging is required. It's got a flexible head that can be moved into various positions for different cars. And the volume and tuning knob is on the front. There's a central display which shows the attached device name. And it's really easy to set up. You can set it up literally in four steps. You plug the transmitter into the cigarette lighter socket. You tune the FM frequency on the car stereo to an empty channel. You tune the transmitter to the same frequency. And then you pair the transmitter with the iPhone. It's also, as well as simple to set up, it's it's simple to use. It's got some really cool features. You can control the volume via a dial on the, on the device itself. You can pause and continue the current song or podcast by pressing a button. You can play the next song or previous song or podcast episode by pressing a button. It's got a three and a half mil port for an audio cable if you don't want to use Bluetooth. Of course, you need the other end of, uh, in your car to have the, the three and a half mil port. It's got two USB ports. One, uh, you can plug a cable in to charge a device. So that's quite handy. And the other one, you can um, plug in a, a USB stick so you can play audio off a drive. It's got a slot for an SD card. So the, that lets you play audio off the card. And it also acts as a hands-free car kit. You can answer, you can hang up, you can reject the call by pressing a single button. And it works with H-E-Y Siri, read my emails. And I thought you were going to say <laughs> that then. <laughs> and it works with H-E-Y Siri, play next track in Spotify. So I think out of all the solutions I've tried, I would say that this one works the best. In fact, it's so good that we've got two of them in the car. One's paired with my iPhone and the other one is, is uh, paired with yours. We just have to remember to plug the right one into the uh, lighter socket, depending on whose iPhone we're using. Mm, confession time. We've actually got three. Um, I bought one first for my car, for testing purposes, you understand. But as I always say, you can never have too many tech toys. Now, I have had to contain myself this time, selecting my Reality Bites moment. So many to choose from, I presume. Indeed, you know me well. I can't believe how difficult it is to create a fully functional PDF via iOS and macOS, to be honest, but especially iOS. By fully functional, you mean a PDF where the hyperlinks actually work? Because I can do files, print to PDF in work on a Mac, but the table of contents doesn't work. Now, most of my PDFs don't require table of contents or hyperlinks, so it's actually not been a big issue for me. I do mean that. My use case is to create PDF versions of emails for archiving. So I need active links in the PDFs to invoices and downloads from those emails. Now, I tried the new features of iOS 11 when it came out, the create PDF option, and they're great, but there's no live links. So it's virtually a screenshot of the content just saved as PDF. I feel it's something that you should be able to do with iOS alone. I mean, you hear enough from the you only need an iPad brigade or the iOS only fundamentalists, as they're known here at MapBytes headquarters. They clearly have no need to create a useful PDF. And I'm not dissing iOS devices. I've bought enough of them. But I'm not stupid enough to believe that they can replace desktop devices in terms of flexible functionality. No more than they can replace your toaster or your kettle. 
Unlike, said iOS-only fundamentalists, who act like it's a crime to use a computer these days. Now, I decided that my only option, after no chance on, on iOS alone, my only option was to rely on a desktop server component. And a few of the ones I tried, um, they included Printopia and PDF Writer. Now, Printopia gives you an AirPrint option without having an AirPrint printer. So it installs via a server component on the Mac and then iOS devices treat this virtual device as an AirPrint compatible printer, which is great as long as there's no live links. Now, I did have a solution and it worked. Uh, my previous solution was a system level driver as old as the hills. Now, when I got the new Mac, I, th I took a decision. I think this will still work with a lot of fiddling at the point of install. But it's not been updated in years, so it's bound to break when we go 64-bit only in a few months. So that's why I set about finding an alternative, and what a nightmare. As of now, I'm stuck having to limit this seemingly simple task to a Mac-only job using the Save as PDF option from the print dialogue. So if anyone's got any other ideas for creating a useful PDF, for which read one with live links, just from iOS, I'm in the market. I think it really needs to be a sort of print-to-PDF option to allow it to be used from any installed app. Um, if anybody's used Outline, have you used Outline? No. Um, Outline is actually a, a OneNote compatible notes app for your Mac. You might need to look at it in light of the other news. Um, and what it, what it does, when you've bought it and installed it, etc., uh, comes from the App Store. So they're limited with, with what functionality they can actually put in it with the sandboxing. So from their website, you can down this little tool uh, called Print to Outline. And it installs some magic in um, macOS. And you can then print to Outline and it creates a proper PDF and it actually puts it into Outline. So something like that on iOS is what I need. But they don't provide an iOS version, typical. So I'm stuck. So um, I, I'm, I'm up for any suggestions that you may have. But now it's time for the app review. As promised in a previous show, today's app review is covering an app I've been using for a few months now that replaced a long-standing favourite of mine. And that app is Voice Recorder Pro from Lin Fei. The app it replaced was iTalk Premium from Griffin Technology. Now, both of these apps do the same job, really. It's to allow you to use your iOS device as a voice recorder. Now, you might ask, why is that a big deal? There is a built-in app, the voice memos. Does it actually look much better than it did back in 2008? It was sort of skeuomorphic on steroids. I haven't looked at it lately. Have you? I haven't, no. I think it possibly got improved, but it, it didn't look great. But way back when, the original recording app, that um, voice memos, on my iPhone 3G failed. And it only took one failure for me to look around for an alternative. And that's when I found iTalk. There were a lot fewer options back then as the app store was new, didn't have a million apps to choose from. And iTalk worked well enough and I stuck with it. It was the if it isn't broken principle which in my life, most things are broken. I'd say it was uninspired, but it did the job. The only problem with it, as far as I was concerned, wasn't it wasn't functionality. It took ages for the developer to update the app as the screen sizes changed, you know, with device changes. I know it's only cosmetic, but that's not the point. You were well aware of it looking like an old app. 
the other thing was that as changes were made and it was updated, the only changes were cosmetic. Functionally, the app was and remains identical to 2008. Don't think there's an iPad specific version yet, is there? I'm sure you have to two times. I could be wrong with that. But if, if check for me while you're there. But as far as I can remember, even if it is a specific iPad version, it still looks like a two times iPhone version. So nine years on, it was time for me to see what else was available. Now there are hundreds of recording apps. I was surprised at just how many. But most of them were appalling in design or function or both. There was also a confusing array of features. So after ruling out many of them for various reasons, I was actually left with four recording apps, all from the same developer, Lin Fei, And it wasn't clear what was specifically different between them. There's Voice Recorder Pro, Voice Notes, Voice Recorder Diary and Dictaphone, Voice Recorder Pro Recording App and Voice Recorder. And they are four completely separate applications. There's also a four in one bundle, which includes all four apps and a two in one bundle that includes the Voice Recorder Pro and Voice Notes, Voice Recorder Diary and Dictaphone. Now, together, they provide a whole range of audio related features, um, including images in files, notes, editing, audio diaries, file transfer. Luckily for me, I picked just the right time to be looking at these apps, all of them, including the pro versions, because there are free versions of all of these apps. But luckily for two days, all of them were free. So I got to try all four of them. Now, for what I wanted, which was basic audio recording, renaming files, some way of transferring recordings to my Mac. And although I didn't at the time think I had the need for editing my audio on a device, it was a nice to have. But I'd also like some kind of decent file management on the device because iTalk had just given me a list and that was it. With those requirements in mind, I settled on Voice Recorder Pro. Now, the features it has that are better than iTalk, it's got a very subtle interface with themes for different colours. Now, there's several themes available and they're just not quite so in your face as iTalk because with iTalk, subtle it wasn't. In terms of when you start iTalk, there is a big red button in the middle of the screen inviting you to press it to record. That's not very subtle. Also, there is a 3D touch option for starting and stopping recordings, which I think is genius. So it meant that I could actually from my screen or within a folder, wherever I would put um, Voice Recorder Pro, I could just force touch it and hit record and it would then open the app and it would start recording. Um, my standard usage meant a list of recordings, files that can be played directly from that list, like I say, basic file management of renaming, deleting, and it's got a record button at the bottom of the screen. But the thing is, it uses for that record button the theme color that you have selected. So if you choose one of the very pale ones, as I've done, a sort of palish, petroly blue, it's not got that bright red thing flashing at you. But the real power for me is in the app, there are six tabs across the top of the screen. And they are the device, which gives you a recording list of local files. The second one is the iCloud Drive, and that gives you a listing of all the audio files you have stored in iCloud Drive. Then there is a reminders tab, and that shows you scheduled recordings. So you can actually schedule recordings with Voice Recorder Pro. 
Then there's one called Moments, which doesn't sound interesting. But what it is, is um, a list of recordings grouped by date. So actually, that can be quite useful. My personal favourite is the fifth one, which is a calendar. And this is a calendar that shows you the number of recordings you made on a specific day. And when you tap on that, it drills you down and you can actually get to those recordings. The last option is the trash. So if you delete anything, it will go into the trash view. Now you have um, recording options. So you're not just limited to pressing record and it records. You can actually record with a selected audio or video, which basically gives you quite basic mixing, but it can be done. You've got an option to record only when speaking. As I've said, you can schedule recording, so you can say to record at a scheduled time. You can actually increase the recording volume and you can record via a Bluetooth headset as well. And once you're recording, so during the recording, if you think, oh, this is important, you can actually put a marker point um, with a flag button on that point in the recording. Now, within the settings, um, it supports lots of different formats. You've got uh, MP3, M4A, AAC, MP4, CAF, AIFC, AIFF, WAV and AMR. So there is a lot of uh, options that you have. You've also got password support with um, Touch ID so you can keep your recordings private. Now, the default location can be set to either your iPhone or iCloud. You can also import files from iCloud and other cloud services, and you can download voice memos. Now, for me, that's all to do with getting recordings in there. What's more significant to me is getting the recordings out there or doing something with them. And you've got a range of send options. Um, you can add text to things. You can move the recording. You can save it to the camera roll and then use any method that you use to manage your camera roll with it. You can actually do conversions from one file format to another within the device. You can even send it to an Apple Watch if you've got one. You can add reminders. You can trim, split, merge and mix. You can even change the sound as well. One interesting thing, which I'm going to come back to in a, pre in a future show, is ringtones. Um, you can make ringtones with it, but that had its whole nightmare attached with it. A whole different nightmare. You can increase the volume and change the speed. And I found it to be rock solid in use, which is important to me. I, I told you one failure and I, I was off looking for something else back in the day. But it is rock solid in use and it's got a great range of features. Now, there are free versions that you can try. Um, They've got ads in, be warned, but you can actually try all of the features. Now, in terms of price, value, etc., iTalk Premium, which was my previous one, is $1.99, which for the features it's got, not bad. And I know, didn't you have a look at it and say that you'd got, you were using the free version? I am using the free version. Yes, the, uh, the, the, the pro version has got a load more features. You can transfer your recordings with AirDrop. You can export your recordings to a number of different locations. Um, I think you mentioned Dropbox, um, amongst others. You've got um, transport controls so that when you're playing the, uh, the the recording, you can forward, rewind and go back 30 seconds. And uh, the, there's various other options as well for your, for your 199. Yeah, I think they have added things like Dropbox support. 
since the very, very beginning. And I don't think 199 is outrageous for the features that it's got. No, it's not. Now, Recorder Pro is actually a lot more expensive. It's 699 For me, those extra features are worth it. But as I say, there are free versions of both that you can test with. Now, while I use it all the time, and you might think you would never need it, it's one of those apps that you might be glad you've got it if you do ever need it. Um, just to give you some idea of what I do use it for, um, I use it as a backup for MacBytes and my training sessions. So my phone is always with me anyway. It might as well be doing something. Um, and I'm actually using it right now to make a backup recording of this. It wouldn't be the first time a recording has failed, would it? No. Didn't you sound like a Dalek on one? I think you'd use the wrong setting in Audio Hijack and it was most unfortunate, but I insisted we used it anyway. Not doing it again. Um, another time I use it, oh, those on-the-road recorders, those occasions when the need arises and, to be honest, that's more frequently than you would think. For me, I record all my phone calls with it. Now, as we know, I don't use the phone if I don't have to, trust me. But when I do, it's going to be one of those calls recorded for training purposes calls, to which I reply to, right they are. That's for when you completely deny what we're about to agree. Be aware, though, to do that, I've got the app running on one iOS device and I'm using a different iPhone to make the call. Um, and I use a speakerphone. So I have one phone pointing to the other and I use it as a speakerphone. I have found, though, that it's worth it. I can't tell you the number of times a company has backtracked on what we've agreed. Faced with a recording of the original conversation, they've amazingly reverted to what was agreed immediately. In fact, I'm thinking of a shopping with Elaine moment here. You know the one I'm thinking of, don't you? I do. A few years ago, I took the MacBytes mom out for Christmas shopping. I know, what was I thinking? We pulled into the car park and I headed off to the machine to pay and it refused point blank to work. Now, of course, this wasn't a simple put your money in and get a ticket thing. Oh, no. These things rival a NASA launch control now. It wanted me to input my car registration number, which I did several times. But according to its internal system, what I was entering wasn't valid. I can assure you it was. But after several more abortive attempts, I took the number of the company from the machine, telephone number, and I rang them. I got the usual about calls recorded for training purposes, so I did the same. And I spoke to a lovely lady, I explained the situation, and I actually tried to pay her with a credit card, but they couldn't do that. Took the details and she assured me it would all be okay. The system would be informed the machine was in error and I could go shop. Much joy. Anyway, mum headed off and later returned, armed with her toys for Christmas, and off we went. I didn't give it a second thought until two days after Christmas. First postal day, I seem to recall, when the summons arrived. Replete with a photo of my incursion into their car park without paying. The cheek of it! Uh, it included a demand for £120. So I wrote a letter explaining what had occurred and headed off to Google to do some research. Oh boy, big mistake. The tales on there were horrific. Basically, the company took no prisoners. No matter what your excuse was, they insisted on applying the penalty. If you didn't pay, the amount demanded increased exponentially. And when I say they took no prisoners, there were cases that I read online of people who had been taken ill in a shop and taken to hospital in an ambulance, and they didn't take that as an excuse for overstaying their welcome. But I sent the letter anyway, and I had screenshots of the time the calls were made, the duration of the calls, and a confirmation of the fact I had a recording of the actual call in the event that they couldn't find theirs. 
Heard nothing for a while. In fact, I heard nothing for so long. Another demand arrived. Never fear, though. I Just before I swung back into action again, um, it was closely followed by a confirmation that, and I quote, in the circumstances, they would not be taking the matter any further. Never a dull moment when you're out, is there? No, never my fault, though, is it? Yes, if you say so, dear. No, it isn't. Honestly, it isn't. That was not my fault. I did try to pay. Now, should also be mentioned here to get back to what we were talking about, which, from if memory serves, was um, Voice Recorder Pro. There is a Mac version of Voice Recorder. Now, it loads content from the shared iCloud folder, the one that's shared with the iOS app. There's also an Apple Watch app. Now, supposedly, it can record to the watch. Personally, I find it much more use for the for remote controlling the app on the phone, because what I can do on the watch is activate the app. I get two options. Um, one is record to the phone. The other is record to the watch. So I make sure it's set to phone and I can actually tap record on my watch and the phone will start recording and you get no indication. The phone could be in the next room. You, it, The screen doesn't light up. There is nothing flashing on it. You have no indication that there is a recording going on. Obviously, if you turn the screen on on the phone, you get the red bar at the top, but it does not turn the screen on itself. So stealth mode, I'd call that. Now, when it comes to transferring the files, with Recorder, it's automatic if you save your stuff to iCloud. But that's not great for huge files because it eats your iCloud allowance and it eats your mobile data if you're out. The other option that um, Recorder Pro gives you is a server setup where you tap an option in the recorder to turn on the transfer mode. You're then given a URL that you go to in a browser on your desktop and you're given a file list and you can transfer as required. Which is slightly different to iTalk because that had a dedicated sync client, which I think you still use. I do. Yes, it's got a dedicated sync client for the desktop. Uh, you run the client, you make sure that iTalk is running on your iOS device. And then as long as they're on the same network, it will find it. So you double click it. It shows you all the recordings that are on your device and you drag and drop them onto your desktop or, or wherever you want to drop them to. Now, you see, I was never really confident with any of those methods, to be honest, especially with huge amounts of data. I always found iSync, um, iTalk Sync quite slow which could just have been me, but I, I always found it a little bit slow. And I was... No, I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you. It, it, it is slow. It's just slower than, it, than you would imagine it needs to be, given how fast I can transfer things from the phone with other, you know, with, with other apps yeah. and things. The other thing is the one where it gives you a URL and you go to a browser. Technically, it should be fine copying out of a browser, but I'm always thinking like the browser might crash or... I've got too many tabs open. I forget I'm transferring it and I try and close it and that kind of stuff. So I'm just never really that confident with those methods. And certainly not the more data I have, the more likely it is they won't work. So I also find from app to app, you get slightly different variations of the system that each one uses to transfer data. So because of that, I take a completely different approach. I, I, I use a single app to access and transfer anything off my iOS devices. And that app is PhoneView. So I can connect a device to my Mac via a lightning cable, run phone view, and I can access everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Um, I've got access to my pictures, my videos. I've got a folder 
for each app or an icon that represents each app. And when I click on it, I get access to the data that belongs to that app. So I can drill right down into it. And it doesn't matter to me. I don't have to learn 17 different ways of transferring data from 17 different apps. I can just use phone view and go in and use the same method to access any data from any of those apps. One huge, huge added benefit for me was the date of the original recording is used for the transferred file in PhoneView. Now, in iTalk Sync, it isn't. When I transfer files with iTalk Sync, the date of transfer and the time of transfer is used instead for the creation date. Now, that's such a pain. When you're confused as to the recording date, you just can't remember. And now you need to know. You look at it and you think that it's definitely not that. And that's because it's the date it's transferred. Now, I do always try and include the recording date in the file name, but occasionally one will slip past me. So that's why I changed to um, Voice Recorder Pro and why I still use Phone View to transfer it. With Voice Recorder Pro, it was mainly more features. There is nothing wrong with iTalk for basic use. But for editing on the road, working in iCloud, for Apple Watch control and much more, Recorder is the better alternative for me. Now, I know you were still using iTalk and not only that, but you were using the basic version. Yeah, and that's probably just um, just just historic and habit because I had iTalk installed. I then realised that I've also got Voice Recorder Pro and I got it free when it was on special offer. Um, and I can't even claim that iTalk is on the homepage and Voice Recorder isn't uh, on my iPhone because looking at my iPhone, they're actually both next to each other on the, on the first screen. You just don't use so, it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just habit. But, you know, having listened to, to some of the benefits from what you've just been saying, particularly that put a marker or put a, put a flag against a particular time stamp, if you like, that sounds a, a very useful thing. So I think I will probably start using it. I think you've talked me into oh, it. Oh, good. To be honest, I use the flag less than I use um, the edit. You know, sometimes when you press record and three hours later, you realise you've, you've you managed that, but you forgot to press stop. What I yeah. was doing was leaving the recording where it was and then taking it off onto my Mac and doing the edit there. And it was only when I was out and I thought, look at the state of this three hour recording. I thought, can I actually edit this? And the only thing I'll say is, I mean, yes, I could. And it was excellent. Uh, what I wanted to do was take the middle out of a recording. And I managed to mark the beginning, mark the end point and then extract it. Basically, I, it created a second file. Um, I think it had like clip on the end or something like that. But the second file, as I listened to it, that was absolutely perfect. Perfect in, perfect out. And then I could delete the first file. So it's very safe to be able to do that. Even if you make a mistake, you won't delete anything from the original file. It will create another one for you. The only criticism I had with it was twice I forgot how to get back into the edit. And it's all to do with this send to option. You basically have to send it to an edit. Now, really, you're not sending it anywhere. You're just going in to edit it. But apart from that, it does a fantastic job. So for me, the flag's quite handy, but I could see me using the edit far more. And given the fact that the iPad version, because I have it on my iPad as well. Previously, I did have iTalk on there, 
but I don't recall actually using it that often on my iPad. I'm more inclined to use this one on my iPad because it's got a dedicated iPad interface. And to be honest, the, the interface it's got is probably better on the iPad because the iPad's bigger. So everything's got a little bit more space to breathe, which makes it even better. So, yes, I can highly, highly recommend that one. You've probably not got it on your iPad, have you? No, but just, just one other thing. At the beginning, you asked me to check out uh, the, the built-in voice recorder app on the iPad. It doesn't exist. No, I meant on the iPhone. Oh, on the iPhone. The I, thought you, I thought you said on the iPad. I thought you would. No, I, I was saying about iTalk Pro on the iPad. It does, does it have um, a dedicated iPad interface or does it look too tight? Oh, sorry, I thought you meant the voice recorder. No, 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 not listening to me again. Let's have a domestic. I don't, I don't even know if I've got it installed. Let me have a look. How can you not have it installed? I'll insist you have it. Oh, no, no, it's iTalk Pro, isn't it? Oh, well, it's not going to make a good story if you've not even got it installed, is it? Not on the iPad, no. Uh, well, can't you go to... No, no, no. Oh, that's opening up a whole other can of worms, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's... I was just going to say, can't, can't you go to iTunes and have a look, but the apps aren't in iTunes anymore, so don't go there. <laughs> it's on one of the iPads. It's on the old iPad, but it's a small screen. So many so. iPads, so little time. Yeah. I don't think it is. Right. I don't think it has We'll got... find out and let you know yeah. next time. Yeah. But next, onto our Map Bytes 10 retrospective of the Snow Leopard launch of the 29th of August, 2009. We decided on a change of venue after an altercation with an official at the Trafford Centre the, the previous launch. A shopping with Elaine moment, you mean? He started it. He was an officious idiot. You know, one of those stick a uniform on it and it thinks it's special, folks. We decided to grace the Apple Store at Liverpool with our presence. After experiencing huge crowds at the Leopard launch, an early start was in order. Was that the show with the bird song at the beginning? The birds I just about managed not to terrorise into a stunned silence. No, that was the iPhone 4S launch. Show 58. I enjoyed that one. You would. It was far too early for me. Anyway, we spent the day before the launch, or I spent the day before the launch. I don't do phones. No. Ringing up the Trafford Centre and the Liverpool stores to find out the opening time. Nobody was able or willing to tell me. Apple being secretive as usual, I think. Anyway, I eventually got uh, through to the Trafford Centre at 9.30 at night, which is probably about half an hour before they shut, isn't it? Yeah, you'd think they'd know when they were opening by that stage. <laughs> that was exactly what I said. They told me the store's opening as normal, no T-shirts, no fuss, no whooping, no cheering, no nothing. Mm, heard it all before. Despite all that, we got there early stood outside in the lashing rain. Just you, me, and one other person. <laughs> now, I think opening time was 9.30, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, they opened at 9 o'clock. The rain was that bad. They felt sorry for us. Um, to be fair, we did get a few whoops and cheers, but I think that's because we were ringing wet. <laughs> but no high fives. Now, this time, we were, we were primed this time, and we were ready. We'd taken our laptops, and we installed the software in store. Oh, do you remember those glorious days of a 17-inch laptop? I do. Mm. And for speed, we did an over-the-top install, I remember. I wasn't about to try doing one without. Listening back to show 29, where we, we actually re recounted our experiences, and on the show, I, I mentioned that the BBC suggested it should be a download. Do you think they were ahead of their time? Knowing, I think back then they'd yeah. have been insane. We said that it would be an eight gig download. It would take a lifetime and would melt the servers. And if you, know, if you think about it, how times have changed in the last eight years. 
Absolutely, but let's be honest, <laughs> they weren't ready then. With our um, 385 meg down broadband, I actually downloaded the High Sierra installer last week and I was interested in how fast it would do it because it's not just your connection that affects the speed, it's the other end. And Apple generally, you know, if you catch them at a good moment, you know, they've got fairly decent infrastructure. So this, um, it was 5.2 gig and it downloaded in 53 seconds. Oh, yes. Going on to the changes, most of the changes and enhancements were under the hood. And there was a quote, users will experience almost no changes in the user interface. There were certainly things I noticed. I remember the very first one because I took a screenshot as I was installing. That was to tweet it, as I recall. Um, and the naming convention for screenshots was changed. And it was a good change. They, they changed it to the word screenshot and the time and date. From memory before that, didn't they just put a number on it? I it think, doesn't it just sort of screenshot so. and screenshot one? I think so. That was, a, that was a huge improvement. I remember having to code that. I think I had a Hazel rule and some, some um, Apple script going on to do that myself. So that, that was a big improvement and a great, great change, that one. Um, and this was the OS that Apple redefined what a meg was. It wasn't 12, uh, 1024, it was 1,000. So the hard drives were reporting a different amount of free space. So I used to have something like 465 gig free and it was now saying I'd got 500 gig free. What was funny was you know, my brain hadn't moved as fast as the OS and I kept opening Pathfinder because that was still telling me the old way. And I wanted to know how much I really had left, not how much Apple thought I had left. We did, of course, have new wallpapers. Oh, lurid pink galaxy and snow leopards. Um, I noticed, actually, I, I don't use wallpapers um, at all, even now. But at that stage, I'd had the blue tiger one on all my Macs since 2006. Other features that there were, the biggest feature in Snow Leopard was support for Exchange, Microsoft's email, contact and calendar server. Really? Mm. Don't recall that at all. Really? There was also malware check. Apple didn't trumpet the feature, but Snow Leopard actually included a certain degree of built-in protection against dangerous software. That was the bothering you bit, wasn't it? That was. Mm. And expose. With Snow Leopard, windows were aligned on a grid, so most people found it a little easier to scan through their screen and find the window they wanted. Thrilling. <clears throat> One thing I did appreciate, though, um, they this was the version of the, the OS where the icons in the finder increased in size and they could at that stage be as large as 512 by 512, which was four times as big as the leopard's large, um, as leopard's largest icons. And that brought in a kind of um, icon artistry. There was a lot of people saying, you know, this was the, the old icon, look at the new one. It's amazing. And, and they were right. You know, it really took, the icons did Enhance the whole look of, of the OS to me. Mm. You and your icons. I'd rather, exactly. Yeah, I'd rather have a syncing uh, one note myself. But <laughs> you've given up on that, so now I'm just looking at pretty icons. <laughs> Another handy feature was ejecting drives. Snow Leopard brought up a window telling you which program didn't want to let you eject the disk, and you could then switch to that program, quit out of it, and eject the disk. Do or you know that never worked right for me? It would bring up the message all right. And then if I went to the app, it, would be, it wouldn't let go. So most of the time, there was a button, wasn't there? Force, force eject. I use that regularly. Yeah, most now. of the time I just hit that and be done with it. <laughs> that or a hammer usually works quite well for me. 
Mm, autocorrect. That was built into the OS. Handy if it would ever synchronise with iOS. But let's be honest, it was then and still is never going to replace dedicated apps like Typeinator or Text Expander. No very way. true, very true. Were you any more thrilled by the new version of QuickTime? It's called QuickTime X. I think it was QuickTime 10. 10. Well, 1Password X, iPhone X, QuickTime X. Oh, no, 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 no. It's iPhone 10. Whatever. Um, it was pretty, but woefully underpowered. In fact, QuickTime Fisher-Price edition comes to mind. Mm, good thinking. Mm. To be honest, that still sums it up today, to be honest. The original QuickTime Pro 7 that they still recommend you install if you want to do certain things. And that was, this is really going back. 2006, you had to buy it with credit cards and stuff. And I remember it registered it to the name on your credit card. So instead of just putting my name in, I used to have to put in my full name with the miss at the beginning. (laughs) And it got me every time because it was the only one that ever did that. Um, But that is now 32-bit only. Ah. And I can't see them updating that anytime soon. Wasn't that all about Codex? Yes, you needed QuickTime Pro 7 because it installed Pro Codex. And there's been a lot of changes since then. One of the best Codex um, was used by ScreenFlow and it was sunsetted by Apple. Um, others changed, but now it all seems to be controlled by the Mac App Store. There's, to be honest, no alternative but to go along with it. And I remember we did a show probably two, three years ago, and there was an issue with the App Store and the Codex. And every time you went in to do an update, it showed you these Codex were available to update. So you clicked update. And then it said, right, you're up to date. And two seconds later, it said you need to update these Codex. And so it ensued for three weeks, fighting with these Codex to try and get them installed. So um, now it's all done by the App Store. You mean you've given up fighting? I just keep my powder dry for the real scraps these days. And I'm not short of them, to be honest. Um, I noticed when I was looking at the Snow Leopard thing, I created an agonisingly detailed installation checklist. Seriously. There was a whole numbers spreadsheet. It listed 139 apps. It was all prioritised and colour coded and it detailed the installation order, compatibility, whether a reboot was required or not, whether it was activated or not. And of those 139, I went through the entire list. Only 38 are still installed. So somewhere along the way, I've lost 101 apps. They're either missing in action or RIP. Dun, 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 dun. But you know what? I loved Snow Leopard. It was everything that Leopard promised, but with more polish. And I think it's still the high point of OS X for me. Um, it was also the first OS that supported the Mac App Store. The Mac App Store was released on 6th of January 2011, and it came as part of a free update. That was 10.6.6. And do you remember how excited we were? No, were we? Oh, you weren't thrilled then? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think what was exciting was, um, I mean, for apps like Twitter was there at the time, the original Twitter thing, uh, which was Tweety back in the day, um, and Evernote was in there. But the thing was, you could get apps that prior to that point had been hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Um, I remember getting remote desktop. And we hadn't had it before because it was so absolutely ludicrously priced and there were much more cost effective alternatives. And I think I remember buying it for around 40 pounds, which was ridiculously cheap by comparison to the price of it the day before. And I think the same thing happened to Final Cut Pro and Logic. I mean, Logic's around the £150 mark now, but 
before that, it was nearly a thousand. So I, Apple did the right thing in, in those kind of terms, but then it all went south, didn't it, with um, things like Aperture. They let you upgrade your disk version of Aperture to the Mac App Store version of Aperture and then pull the whole thing completely. So, yeah, let's not go there. But um, I still think it was a high point of OSs for me. Now, our next good but gone is an old favourite of mine, which is Profcast. Not one of yours, was it? I don't even remember the name. Its function was to easily create an enhanced audio file with embedded images. And if that sounds strange to you, well, you're listening to one of those files right now. Since day one, MacBytes has been distributed um, as an enhanced podcast in M uh, M4A, MP4 format. Each section of the show has its own chapter marker and that acts as a bookmark for navigating the show content. And each chapter marker can have an associated URL, so a live link in supported apps. So each file can also have embedded text information. So for a podcast, it's the show notes. So why was Profcast needed? Well, it was aimed squarely at the educational market, hence the name Profcast. And it was used to create educational materials. Cross-platform, Mac and Windows were supported. It was great for taking PowerPoint or Keynote-based information, adding audio to it, and then creating a single audio file containing well, what, what in effect was self-contained study materials. Now, the price was $59.99, which is expensive by today's standards. And it was one of the more expensive apps back then. Um, but the reason being, it replaced or obviated the need for several other apps. Now, obviously, it's in the good but gone section. It's dead. But the store is actually still active on their website, which is dangerous. It looks like it's still there. Now, was it worth it? Well, back in the day, it enabled you to do the job rather than focus on the tech. So for those working in education, absolutely, they loved it. I sat down now and thought, OK, it's gone. How would I replace that functionality? And obviously, when we get a MacBytes out, <clears throat> don't draw attention to it. We do all of that. We have the enhanced podcast thing. We have the show notes. We have the images. We do all that. We don't tend to put content in from a presentation, though. So thinking it through, I thought, well, you're going to need multiple apps to even try to reach the same level of content. And I thought you'd probably need ScreenFlow. You'd need an enhanced podcast creator. You'd need an audio recorder to edit it. And of course, GarageBand isn't what it was either. Uh, Fission from Rogue Amoeba can add enhanced podcast features, but it's quite fiddly. I know you're not fond of it, are you? Because it's too fiddly. No, it's not one of my favourites. No, the interface is a bit on the quirky side, but um, it is one of the few ways that you can do that. But all of those apps mean that the level of technical knowledge required to create the same output is much higher. So I came to the conclusion, really, there's no replacement. But then I thought, does that matter? Video's now king. So does enhanced audio matter anymore? Another thing was um, hosting video is easier than audio these days, and it's certainly cheaper especially if you're trying to live stream video. I find that really strange. You can live stream video via YouTube, but audio only feeds cost an absolute fortune. Now, working with audio in PowerPoint is a nightmare. Keynote's not much better. I'm going to mention a job that I had to do and you'll just crack up. Remember that prayer saga? I do. Oh, dear. I was given a presentation and um, it had some sort of slides of images that there was there was an audio track behind the whole thing 
that that was what we were attempting to achieve. And it was um, the Celine Dion song, The Prayer. So that audio track needed to play behind a total number of slides. The slide transitions needed to match the phrasing of the audio. So I thought, well, I've got PowerPoint, I've got Keynote. Uh, let's have a look. It came in PowerPoint format and it wasn't lined up. And that was how come I ended up with it. They couldn't get the transitions to match the phrasing of the song. No, neither could I. It was impossible. If you moved one like you moved 18, so it matched it, then 17 went out and back, you know, that knocked six out. And you're thinking, what on earth? I know that song inside out. I must have heard it a million times that week. So I thought, OK, let's take it to Keynote and do it there. It was impossible in Keynote as well. And believe me, I tried. In the end, with about half an hour to go, I had just admitted defeat and I used Photomagico. But then I have Photomagico and I know how to use it. And I know I've used it enough to know it could do that job. So point being, it's nowhere near as easy as it should be to do what Profcast did. And to think that was mm, 12 years ago now. And to think that there isn't an app out there that lets you do that, no matter what price you're prepared to pay. Photomagico, not bad, not bad. I think I had to compromise on the live links in the end. There's no way it could have created that. So I still had to take it somewhere else to finish it off. So um, a good but gone, Profcast, sadly missed. And there is nothing equivalent to it. I think that's quite sad, particularly for people who don't have the technical skills that we have or the experience. Because I know a lot of those people in education just used to strut their stuff with it and out popped a file. And that's all they want. They they don't want to know about the technology of it. They're not interested. And I understand that. Yeah, that could still have uses today. It is a shame it's gone, but it's gone. It is. Anyway, as promised back at the beginning of the show, we heard from longtime MacBiter, the awesome McJim. I think he was a bit surprised at the appearance of a new show. Weren't we all? He said, A what? Oh, I. I was feeling a bit brassed off, I, but a new wee annual show arrived and I'm feeling bro new, but I've not got a bikini in my wardrobe either. Is it compulsory then? Maybe <laughs> no, I. <laughs> always good to hear from you, McJim. As we always say, MacBytes will be released when you least expect it. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. Send your questions, comments, queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com and there's contact form on the website. Or consider this. Send us an audio file. Not an audio file for ages, have we? No. I think we need some listener shaming going on there. <clears throat> now, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter, twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Now I've got to rush. I've got a ton of shopping to do, not least of which is a large bunch of bananas, or as we call it at MacBytes HQ, a multi-user license for one password. <laughs> Goodbye and see you next time. What's all this stuff for? This isn't just stuff. What is it then? It's the foundation of my master plan. You have a master plan? I most certainly do. For what? Regaining our rightful place at the top of the MacBytes HQ pecking order. Aren't we already at the top of that? Well, I like to think we are. So what's the problem then? 
Alexa. Good point. She's so full of herself. That she might be, but she'll be a dim memory when I execute my master plan. So, what is it then? I thought I'd treat the crew. I've bought them some candy sticks. Great idea. Remind them of their youth. I've even added the glowing red ends to each one. Brilliant. Can I try one? Of course. What did you use to make the ends red? A tin of food coloring I found in the kitchen. Siri, this isn't food coloring. It isn't? No, it isn't. It's gloss paint. Gloss paint? Oh well, never mind. It's the thought that counts. Rather you than me, when the crew share their thoughts about this with you, 